Welcome to the Ottawa Business Journal's live broadcast of Logging Out, Demystifying an Employee's Right to Disconnect. I'm Michael Curran from the Ottawa Business Journal. Thank you for joining us today. We have hundreds of people online, both on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And as always, we want to make today's show an interactive one. And that means we really want to hear from you on whatever social media channel that you're on. You can uh, share your comments and questions and we'll be uh, addressing those in about 25 to 30 minutes. We've got a really relevant discussion today. It's an issue I think that's top of mind for business owners and managers, particularly this time of year as we look to uh, go on vacation and actually you know, unplug from work. The issue at hand is the right to disconnect. And of course, many white collar workers are still working from home. Uh, and that has all sorts of advantages. There's no commuting time, more uninterrupted heads down work. But now that so many of us have established home offices with remote technology, we're seeing some downsides or some complications at least from home offices, notably uh, work hours that are less defined. So we're all not showing up at an office at a certain time and leaving at a certain time. And sometimes there's that need to urgently communicate with our colleagues who are not sitting in the next cubicle or the next office over. Recognizing all of this, the Ontario government introduced and enacted a Bill 27, uh, which is called the Working for Workers Act 2021. It requires, and listen to this as a key point, it requires employers of 25 or more employees to have written policies in place disconnecting about disconnecting from work. The initial deadline, in fact, is already passed. It was it was June 2nd, so we're past that. And these policies have been commonly described as the right to disconnect. They do not create, and this will be a key point again in the discussion we're about to have in just a second, it does not create a freestanding right to disconnect. So as you can imagine, this is causing a lot of misunderstanding, and that's particularly true when it comes to employment and labor law. So to demystify this and provide you with some clarity, we have two experts joining us today. It's not the first time we've seen them. In fact, they're, uh, you saw them with us on, uh, they were with us in uh, March, 2022. And let's welcome them now. Without further delay, our first guest is Neil Juba, an associate, and Eamon Harnden. Welcome to you, Neil. Hey, Michael. Thank you for having us back. Uh, great. And our second guest is Twa uh, Patrick Twagira Yezu, an associate also at Eamon Harnden. Welcome, Patrick. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having us again. How are you? How are you guys doing today? We're doing well. We're doing well. Like many, we are uh, in the midst of trying to figure out all these these new requirements and legislation that's come down the pipes. And I don't want to jinx any anything at all. And, and uh, please don't blame me if things go the other direction. But it looks like some of the pandemic issues are now in in the rearview mirror. Which careful, is exciting. careful. <laughs> You're jinxing <For> us. <laughs> and as and we transition to a, an endemic. We'll put it that way. How's yeah. that? That's good. Uh, you know, we're, we're beginning to to now be able to focus on some other issues that have come up. And again, like it's disconnecting or the right to disconnect or disconnecting from work type of policies. It's just one of those things now that it, it has a bit more prominence. It's a bit more out there now that we're able to shift the focus. Our last discussion was vaccination policies. Not so much of an issue at the very moment. So yeah, D different focus right about now. It's, the it's evolving funny. world of employment and labor law. <laughs> Never dull moment. That's it's keeping you guys uh, and us on the uh, edge of our seats. Uh, Patrick, I just wanted to check in with you. Um, it, it seems like uh, this issue has snuck up on us a little bit. Like, 
you know, we've all been talking maybe even pre-pandemic about the right to disconnect, but now we've got some legislation right here in Ontario and maybe a few of us have thought of the sense of this, but they're not fully aware of the legislation. Is that right, Patrick? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the way that you've put it to say that it snuck up on us, I think it's something that for years um, has certainly been a discussion. Uh, and as, as we become more hyper-connected, as you know, you're, you, can, you can basically take your workplace with you on your smartphone, these are all things that have, have changed. Um, and I think that the discussions have been out there in the fringe a little bit. Depending on where you are in the world, uh, it's been a more prominent discussion uh, depending on, on where you're, you're placed geographically. But I think that as we start to move forward with, with the last two years and we've seen that, uh, like you've just mentioned, you know, there, there's a lot more um, productivity. But at the same time, you do get the sense that, you know, my, my job is not necessarily simply related to where I am physically. And it seems that the, the Ontario government, at least in this respect, is trying to uh, sort of do something about it. But as we'll learn throughout the discussion today, um, there is still a lot of discretion given to employers and uh, it'll come down to, to the specific workplace and the actual contents of the policies um, still remain to be seen because uh, the government may make changes down the line. Uh, it's a great start. Thank you, gentlemen, for uh, teeing this up. We're going to walk people through our agenda. We, we've actually broken the show down to six components, so very kind of digestible short uh, uh, punchy topics here the first topic is what does the right to disconnect mean for employers so we're going to define it of course we're going to get to know bill 27 so there's a requirement uh, for employers with more than 25 employees that we just talked about number three uh, topic is uh, what your right to disconnect policy should include so if you need a policy what's in the policy uh, what a policy will mean in topic four for day-to-day -day operations. I think that's an important one to think through. Like, what does this actually mean to our operations? Number five, other obligations regarding the policy. And uh, number six, because as noted here, I think there's going to be an evolution to this legislation, what the requirements are. So how to stay up to date on your right to disconnect policy. And then we're going to you, the viewers, uh, with questions from the audience. We anticipate that will happen sometime around 12:25, and i'll be watching and moderating but you can start asking the questions uh early don't uh, don't wait uh if you've got something on your mind we want to hear from you so patrick we're going to kick things off now with topic number one as as we just covered it is the what does the right to disconnect mean for empl uh, employers so let's define this a little bit patrick Thanks, Michael. So what you have to understand here is that the right to disconnect typically is the concept that employees should be able to disconnect from workplace communication channels outside of working hours. Uh, the concept looks to address hyper con uh, connectivity and work-life balance. So as we've mentioned, uh, as we're sort of in the, the, the pandemic and uh, Neil has, has stated the endemic, um, there, there are lingering effects and this idea that we're always connected to the workplace and this is one of those concepts that's put in place to sort of draw a line in terms of work-life balance and for employees who may be interested in the right to may be interested in the right to disconnect in order to be free from communications in the off in their off hours but as we'll also learn there's already a built-in mechanism in terms of employment agreements uh, and other uh, other agreements such as a collective agreement maybe that that refer to uh, the hours of work so there are already built-in mechanisms that actually state what you know what is needed in terms of work hours what is needed in terms of um, having to respond to work obligations but this policy um, or this idea of a policy kind comes to sort of put it in place 
to say that uh, there needs to be some parameters around it. And for employers, the right to disconnect may be a complicated issue because there may be a need to balance uh, providing employees with time away from work-related communications in their off hours on one hand. But on the other hand, you may have legitimate business needs uh, that have to be addressed. So depending on the nature of the business and the employee's specific duties, the right to disconnect may be more feasible for some employers than it is for others. I get, I get your point. So we're really talking about what happens in off hours, how we define those off hours. And then the complicating part, uh, Patrick, is that, listen, uh, uh, you know, work gets done sometimes in off hours and sometimes there's a need for urgent communication. So do those people need to maintain uh, a little bit of connection and be watching for incoming messages? Uh, so good way to start this off. We're starting to define it. Neil, we're going to go to you now to talk about the actual legislation, Bill 27, uh, take it away. Okay. So I, uh, I apologize in advance if I'm going to sound like a bit of a broken record here, but uh, there, there is some confusion, um, this idea of the right to disconnect and, and what uh, obligations Bill 27 has actually created. So a lot of people have called Bill 27 and its requirement as a right to disconnect or create a policy about a right to disconnect, but the legislation does not provide such a right. So there is no specific requirement that a policy or employer's policy prohibits an employer for contacting their employees when they're outside of the working hours. We'll get to that in a minute, but Patrick kind of alluded to that uh, just a couple minutes ago. What the, uh, the legislation requires is that employers put a written policy in place that uh, relates to the notion of disconnecting to work. So I think some of this confusion kind of comes from the notion or the term disconnecting work because it's defined and I'll read it from how it's defined in the legislation um, but it's defined as not engaging in work-related communications including emails telephone calls video calls or sending or reviewing of other messages so as to be free from the performance of work but again so that's I think where a lot of this confusion is coming from and if you read more into the legislation again uh, it doesn't actually grant employees a right to disconnect from the workplace where the obligation it arises is for employers to put in place uh, evolve uh, a policy that will speak to uh, its expectations when it comes to employees from disconnecting to work. So the rights of employees under the Employment Standards Act in terms of when or when not to perform work, those still exist elsewhere. So meal periods, hours of work, overtime, those things still exist. But again, and here comes the broken record part, uh, it, there's no, this legislation does not impose uh, obligations uh, to allow employees to just completely shut off from work. And one thing to be very cautious of as an employer too, is you don't want to create a policy that provides a right that does not exist in the legislation or steps above that. Um, so the language that you use in drafting a policy, be very cautious because you don't want to provide employees with a general right to disconnect because if you do that, you may be creating a greater right or benefit than what's required under the legislation. And if you do that, that right to disconnect that you have created in a policy that doesn't exist in the ESA will actually govern. So be very cautious. Uh, just a couple of small things too. Uh, Michael, you had alluded to this earlier on uh, in the introduction about uh, how uh, employers with 25 or more employees as of January 1 of this year should have had a, a policy in place by uh, June 2nd. Um, and that's going to carry forward. So beginning in 2023, so employers with 24 
or sorry, 25 or more employees on Jan 1 of each year will have their written policies in place. Um, and if you have less than 25 employees on January 1 in a given year, we'll say 2023 going forward, you don't have that obligation. Um, and if you do have 25 employees on January 1st, you do have an obligation to have such a policy in place. If the number of employees falls during the year below 25, that requirement to have the policy that maintains in place as well. Okay. So if you're below, you don't need one, even if you creep up above the 25, but if you're above 25 on January 1, you have your policy. You fall below 25 employees during that year, that policy still applies. Interesting. So I, heard, I think I heard two key things uh, from you there, Neil. So one is it is not illegal to contact your employees after work hours. So I think I clearly heard, heard you on that point. And the requirement is simply to have a policy. So uh, did I get both those two points uh, uh, right there, Neil? Cole's notes version, absolutely. Okay, got it. Okay, so I'm following. We got six of these, so we're gonna we're gonna keep on going through them. So we're gonna go back to Patrick. So again, it's not illegal to contact your employees uh, after work hours. If you have more than 25 employees, uh, you need a policy. So Patrick, you're going to address what should be in that policy. That's right, Michael. So in preparing a policy on disconnecting from work, employers have to include the date the policy was prepared and the date any changes were made to the policy. Uh, the Employment Standards Act does not otherwise specify the information that has to be included in the policy. So as a result, although the subject of the policy must obviously be on disconnecting from work, it is employers who determine the contents of the policy itself. And I mentioned this in, at the outset, there's still a lot of discretion here that's given to employers. Uh, and as Neil has mentioned and was re reiterated by, by Michael here, that the obligation is to have the policy. Its contents really might depend. So the Ministry of Labor's guide has given you know some ideas as to what might be in the policy. For example, uh, they mentioned that the uh, employer could implement their expectations if any, of employees to read or reply to work-related emails or answer work-related phone calls after their shift is over. Uh, the you may include the employer's expectations for different situations. For example, depending on the time of the day uh, or the time of the day of the communication, the subject matter of the communication and the individual initiating the communication. And finally, another example could be the employer's requirements for employees turning on out-of-office notifi notifications and and or changing their voicemail messages when they are not working to advise when they will respond to communications. So we can see here that there are examples, different things that you can put in there that it may depend on your, your specific workplace, but there isn't any actual obligation as to what the content has to be. And the, the manual that's been put together by the Ministry of Labor also notes that the Employment Standard Act's rules on when work is deemed uh, to perform could apply. So. If an employee engages in an activity such as reviewing or writing emails, this would generally be considered working time under the Employment Standards Act, even if it's done after work hours and when a, disco uh, when a disconnecting from work policy says employees should not work from home. Employers can have a single policy that applies to all employees or their policy can contain different policies for different groups of employees. The policy can be standalone or it can also be part of another document such as uh, a comprehensive policy manual. And this is something that uh, we're already starting to see some of our clients uh, take that approach or they have a standalone policy. Again, it may be a matter of uh, the, the, the particular 
um, culture or the workplace practices of that particular employer. And as noted above, the Employment Standards Act doesn't specifically create a right for employees to disconnect from work. Now, this is important because Neil has mentioned it. It's not a right to disconnect from work. That's not something that, that this legislation puts in place, and it's not anything that your policy should necessarily be putting in place. Rather, the employee rights under the Act to not perform work are established through pre-existing rules, as I briefly stated at the beginning of my of this presentation, including those on hours of work and eating periods, vacation with pay, public holidays, and deemed work. So there are already pre-existing parameters that sort of limit what you know what has to be done and when it has to be done. So employers should be cautious in their policy uh, wording not to give employees a right not to perform work when when the act would otherwise not permit it. So contractual wording that stipulates such a right or provides protections that are greater than what is provided by the Employment Standards Act, as addressed by Neil uh, earlier, could create a greater right or benefit that may apply in place of the lesser obligation outlined in the Employment Standards Act. So employers who must develop a policy by June 2022 should take the time and be careful in developing a policy to ensure compliance with the limited legislative re requirements and consistency with workplace culture and expectations. You know, there's always complexity in employment and uh, labor legislation. I, when I was, when you were speaking there, Patrick, I really do think people probably need to reach, reach out to lawyers, get some professional help because you said it and Neil said it too. You got to be careful. You don't extend their right that goes beyond what the legislation was intended to do, because how are you going to roll that back? Um, yeah, I've got so many questions, but we'll keep on moving here. And of course, if you're watching, I'm sure you've got questions. I'm noting uh, some are starting to come in. So uh, if you're like me, there's lots and I want to hear from you. Uh, give give our uh, audience the uh, the opportunity for that. So, Neil, what I'm really eager for you to address topic number four here, because it's what does the policy mean for day to day operations? So in in so many of these cases, um, uh, we want to know what is what is the real impact? Yeah, that's an interesting one. And it's almost like looking into a crystal ball right about now, because it's also new to us. Um, you know, it, it's really going to depend upon each individual workplace's policy and how, how they want to address it. I know that some workplaces can have you know, a, a bit more flexibility in terms of, okay, we don't need, perhaps, uh, we don't have the type of workplace where there's going to be a lot of communication between beyond say, you know, five o'clock in the evening till nine o'clock in the morning on weekends. Um, you look at, at our type of workplace, or if you've got clients that are Canada wide, it's, it's harder to, you know, fit expectations between a nine to five workplace. So it's really uh, what it's going to look like on a, on a day to day basis is going to be contingent quite significantly on the type of, of workplace you have. Um, and it could really it probably your policy will probably reflect what you're already doing right now, um, how your business operates. What I think that the benefit of you know, of having these types of policies in place will have uh, is that it's going to create an opportunity for, as an employer, uh, to make their expectations clear about off-hours work or off-hour communication. Um, that is, I think, bringing back to, to Michael, what you had discussed earlier on uh, and, and Patrick alluded to, we've been living in this universe where, you know, you don't have to physically be in the office anymore. You can take, as Patrick had said, you can basically do your job for some people on your smartphone. And so the idea of, you know, my day is not so long or 
eight to five or what have you. It can start at five in the morning for a couple hours. I can take breaks. It can extend into the evening. I think th these policies will help create some clarity or make some expectations uh, about, you know, off hours communication. And the benefit to that as well is, is that this was hopefully this is going to mean that there'd be more certainty amongst employees and less misunderstandings about, okay, what are the expectations if an email comes to me at nine o'clock in the evening? And do I answer? How do I answer? That type of thing. Um, I, I, I like that point too, Neil, that, um, you know, it is an opportunity, right? So it, it's an opportunity to have an open discussion uh, uh, with a team of people about what the expectations are in terms of work. And so I, I like that point. Like often we get bogged down in the details and we need to, uh, but it is a little bit of opportunity for people to embrace that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and things have changed a lot in the past two, two years. And again, like, yeah. now we're sort of transitioning to a different phase of this process. Uh, and now is the time to have the conversations about these. And then we're required to now because of this new legislation. Yeah. We, and we have lots of questions coming in now. So we'll, we'll keep on rolling here and I'll stay out of your way. Uh, Patrick, you're going to help us with topic number five, which is other obligations. So not only the obligations uh, that we've been talking about in this policy, but there's some other ones. Go ahead. So the other types of obligations that you can sort of keep in mind, one of them is certainly the question of timelines. So employers will have to provide a copy of the policy to all employees within 30 days of preparing or changing the policy. New employees must uh, be provided with a copy of the policy within 30 days of becoming employed. And a copy does not need to be provided to employees annually if the policy has not changed from the previous year as the obligation to provide a copy to employees only arises within 30 days of preparing or changing the policy. Um, what is interesting here is that this is a sort of a built-in mechanism uh, to the legislation. And it there seems to be leeway here in terms of changes that may come about. So this may be an indication that, that perhaps there's going to be more uh, direction coming from the government down the line about this, this type of policy, its contents, perhaps more about the, the process that has to be followed or the form of the policy. Um, so that's something to keep in mind, the, the ability here that's given or the timelines that are given for, for making changes and advising employees um, is, is, is an important piece to keep in mind because it does seem to signal that the government realizes that there, there might be a lot of changes, a lot of additions, uh, or maybe just few, but in any case, that it's an evolving process. Uh, the ministry's policies that where an employer has multiple policies that apply to different employees, the employer is only required to provide an employee with a copy of the policy that applies to that employee. So the ministry's policy is also that the policy can be provided in hard copy by email or by link to a document or an internet database if the employee has reasonable access to that database. Other requirements can be prescribed by regulation, as I've mentioned, and may come down the line. Um, but at the time that we're having this discussion right now, uh, no such regulations have been passed. Another thing to keep in mind here is the, the records retention piece of, of the policy. So employers will be required to retain copies of every, discon uh, every disconnecting from work policy for three years after the policy ceases to be in effect. They must also ensure that copies are readily available for inspection by an employment standards officer upon request. Wow, okay. Some, some good things to think about. Uh... Again, the questions keep on coming in, but uh, our, in our final topic, uh, Neil, and then we'll get to this, uh, this interactive portion, um, as Patrick just said, it, this is evolving. So how do people stay up to date on all of this? 
Absolutely. Sorry, my, my lights just kind of went out here. Uh, oh, it's a bit dark, we, but we can, it's very dramatic. I, I like the look, actually. <laughs> right at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. You're uh, good. <laughs> so I guess the, the best starting point um, is there's a guide to the Employment uh, Standards Act that the ministry has. It's online. It's easily accessible. And there is a section in the in the guide on disconnecting so that will provide some basic information and that's a good resource to consult as a starting point and it gets updated if any uh, changes are made um, of course being under the employment standards act and under bill uh, 27 uh, the government can pass regulations uh, relating to the content of policies so that's another avenue that uh, employers can stay up to date now when when regulations are made they are well known um, they're going to be published and so forth uh, as a law firm we would issue uh, bulletins providing information about the regulations, how that changes and that type of thing. So yeah, the government can uh, issue these regulations. They don't do it all that often, but I foresee in the in the coming months, if not year or so, when it comes to this specific piece of legislation, uh, there will be something that will be released uh, to provide some additional clarity as to obligations and so forth around this piece of legislation. Okay. Uh, and I guess the last sort of area where there could be some some updates is if uh, there are complaints filed. So like the rest of the Employment Standards Act, if, if an employee files a complaint, it would go to an Employment Standards Officer. And where you could potentially see a, a decision down the road, if, if that gets appealed, it goes to the Ontario Labor Relations Board. They would potentially, at the end of the day, uh, release a decision and those are available to the public. So that could also be uh, a means to, or for somebody to provide some clarity on particular areas of the, the legislation that may not have been clear or may have been contributed in that particular circumstance. Okay, so we can keep an eye open for that. So let's move to uh, to this interactive session here and I'll bring some comments on screen from a few of our uh, viewers. Uh, this one is joining us on YouTube and uh, it's from Vanessa Balrose. Hope I got your name right. Is it only for employees who work from home or what about hybrid or blue collar workers? So maybe there's a double ended dead, double question there. Is it only for employees? Patrick, we'll start with you on that one. Is it only for employees who work from home? Uh, so no, it's for it's for all employees, uh, given that uh, there might be aspects of your work where you, you work in, in the office, but you have uh, an email account. And so when you're when you're home, uh, you may receive uh, emails re related to work, but you, you don't only work from uh, from home. And again, that may also depend uh, on even if you're you're doing something a little more manual in terms of uh, in terms of work or a little more uh, labor based. But at the end of the day, uh, the real question becomes uh, one of, of, of the employer's discretion. So for example, if the employer determines that certain aspects of the policy are going to apply differently to certain groups of employees, as we've previously mentioned, then uh, they may sort of craft the policy to uh, to, to make up for those differences or to recognize those differences. But in terms of the obligation to uh, to employers, it, it does apply to all employers. And the aspect of it that matters is the number of employees, as was mentioned uh, by Neil earlier. Yeah, and there's no distinction between office workers or blue collar workers, so to speak. Uh, although I heard you on that point, Patrick, you could have separate policies within the same company for each of those groups if there was a different requirement for them to you know, watch for emails or uh, or texts or something like that. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Neil, jump in. I just one piece on that too. If you have um, two or three or different policies, depending on the type of, of workers you have, uh, 
course, there's the obligation to provide the policy to, to the workers. But if you have, say, a blue collar group, you can give them the blue collar, so to speak, uh, policy on disconnecting. If you have a white collar group or an office group, you only need to. So they don't have to be giving everybody all the policies, only the one that's relevant to them. That's the one that you provide. Okay. And uh, this is a really good question. Also coming from a YouTube viewer, I'll read it. Then, Neil, you can, uh, you can tackle this one. Would an amendment to an existing policy suffice if we already have work hours uh, and the like outlined? Sounds like this could potentially be covered by a sentence or two rather than a whole policy. So let's assume, of course, there are 25 employees and up and you, you tackle that one, Neil. Yeah. You would want to create your own uh, disconnect from work policy. Like that's to have a standalone. That's what you would create because that's what the legislation requires you to have. So uh, I get probably in some instances and depending on the workplace and, and that some could already have a, like a, their own type of disconnecting from work policy that existed prior to all of this legislation coming in, but you'd want to create a separate one. Uh, that's the requirement under the legislation uh, and, just to and address this issue. And, and maybe if I can uh, uh, throw this one at you just kind of as a follow-up of Byron. So I also understood through throughout the show today that um, your work hours uh, can be defined in an employment agreement or an overall employee handbook or a policy. It, they don't have to be necessarily in this right to disconnect policy. Is that right, Neil? That is correct, yes. Okay. And typically your workday will be in a, a different type of policy. Okay. Or work hours. And and again, sorry for, for digging in even more on that. Would would uh, Eamon Harnden and, uh, and the experts there def generally define put work hours in an employment agreement, or is that best in a an employee handbook or a policy document? That generally depends upon the workplace. We've seen okay. both. Um, many have it in policies. Some put it into contracts. It's uh, okay. there's no hard and fast rule on that one. That's okay. And as is often the case, it's dependent on, upon so much. Uh, the next question, will, Patrick, will go to you on this one. It's from Rudolf Dalmas, who's also joining us on YouTube. And it's a very Ottawa question. I like this. Uh, good, good question, Rudolf. Will the policy apply to federal public service employees working in Ontario? And does this apply to or does this apply to more private sector employees? Yeah. Uh, that's a really good question. And uh... Uh, Rudolph, uh, it's, I laugh, Michael, you wouldn't know this. Rudolph went to my high school. I just, <laughs> he and I, he and I, I were like student, he and I were on student council together back in the day. Um, but uh, the answer to that is that if you're a federal sector um, public service employee, this won't apply to you. Um, you know that there's there's a separate jurisdiction for that. So everything we've addressed today uh, really does does apply to uh and, and usually, by the way, the, the question of employment and not to get into the specifics of uh, the specifics of constitutional law and, and the division of powers, but it does usually fall within the uh, the jurisdiction of a province. But uh, the federal public service is sort of it's a jurisdiction of its own that falls under uh, federal jurisdiction. So nothing that we've discussed today um, specifically addresses uh, employees that are in the federal public sector or public service. Sorry. And, and a point of clarification on that one, uh, Patrick. So yeah, I got you. Doesn't apply to federal public servants uh, living here in Ottawa or, or elsewhere. What if you were a public servant uh, in Ontario? So like you worked at the hospital or you worked at Algonquin College or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So in that respect, it, it would apply. 
Um, so yeah, so if you're a public servant uh, working for a uh, a provincial organization or provincial um, public service organization or employer, then this would apply. Yes. Okay, uh, and we have a lot of questions here, so uh, get ready, gentlemen. Uh, we'll go back to you, Neil, on this one also from YouTube. And here we go. This one's interesting too. What about employers who employ staff who are exempt from overtime requirements in the ESA, such as public accountants? Of course, they have this massive uh, crush of work, uh, you know, in the spring during uh, when, when the tax deadlines come. How do you balance that with the right to disconnect policy? So again, if people are exempt, uh, I didn't even know that was possible from overtime and requirements in the ESA, how does this apply? Yeah, it would be part of be addressed in the policy. So as uh, Patrick has alluded to, it's it sort of, uh, you're creating expectations around uh, answering phones, emails, so forth out of outside of normal working hours. So again, even if you're exempt for that, we'll, we'll say for accountants, for example, um, I, it, it can be reconciled with one of these policies. It's just, you're creating expectations. Like for example, you, you would put, something in the policy along the lines of, you know, we respect that uh, we would like people to have downtime. Um, the reality is there are going to be times where we can't fit within a workday nine to five time frame, And the expectation is given the nature of our business, we do law, for example, we're going to have people you know, sending frantic emails at nine, 10 o'clock at night. That's the reality of it. And the expectation is this is going to happen. Yeah, good point. And, and I think you just let's underline again that there's no legal, there's nothing legally preventing uh, an employer from communicating with their employees. So let's just keep that uh, after hours. Let's just uh, keep that in mind as we're going through. Vanessa's got, uh, Vanessa uh, uh, Valeros has a, a kind of a s simple one, I think. Uh, sample on, so where to see it? Should this be in a guide or a manual, I guess, is what she's asking? And this is sorry and byron asked a similar question here i'll bring it up does the policy have to be provided separately or can it be in a policy or manual any any advice on that uh, patrick so uh, much like the the question of hours of work where do you place it, it it's a lot of it comes down to um to, to your decision as an employer uh, or it's your discretion so uh already we've seen this policy be put uh, within a general context of a manual for with some employers that we work with and others have standalone ones and i mentioned it during the, the during uh, my, my my thoughts today when I was speaking that um, at the end of the day uh, it really is up to you. What's important is that employees be aware of the policy, that they be uh, informed of amendments and changes to the policy. And uh, as as Neil alluded to when we were talking about blue collar versus white white collar workers, if you have multiple policies, that the relevant policy that applies to those employees be provided to them. So the form is not necessarily uh, important or the way in which it's, it's presented, even the the um, the approach taken. So whether you do it online or you give people a hard copy version of it, uh, those things are not important. Uh, what matters is that the employees are, are informed of it and of course that you have uh, the, the policy. Okay, and we're into overtime. So I apologize, we won't get to all these questions, but maybe we'll touch on a couple quick ones, I think. Neil, the next one's for you. Uh, if an employer works at the firm, are they part of the minimum 25? So when you're when you're counting up employees, does it include the boss? I guess I could I could paraphrase. Yeah, if it's the uh, requirement is who has an employment relationship with the employer as on January 1st, for example, of a given year. 
And so you would include that. If they have an employment relationship, they're included in the in the account of 25. Okay, and uh, Patrick, we'll go to you probably for the last question. And this one's, we haven't quite uh, covered this. How about the employees that are already covered by a collective agreement? But I, I think we've kind of said it doesn't matter if you're a private sector or, or covered by a collective, unionizing covered by a collective agreement. Is that is that the case? Yeah, generally speaking, a collective agreement will, will require that uh, uh, employees act within the, 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 the confines of the employer's policies. And, and the employer is also, um, is also required to, to sort of have policies and work within the, the parameters of those policies. Uh, Within the collective agreement context, uh, there are larger questions, uh, perhaps uh, those relating to whether or not the policy is reasonable, uh, whether it's particular to that that workplace. But again, I think that's a case by case basis. So it's application to unionized environments, and and the question really only matters whether or not there's a challenge to the to the policy. I think that's something that is. Um, evaluated within the arbitral context and, and you look at the policy and you see whether or not it's reasonable. And I think that's where questions around, you know, whether or not you're able to section off particular types of employees and have differing obligations. I think that's where um, it'll, taking that approach will become important. I get you on that because, um, you know, not to be too hierarchical about this, but but managers generally manage large groups of people so they're they're generally more kind of tuned in and uh, um if if you're not in that position maybe you need to be a little bit less connected so i get there's it you know it, it depends on the nature of the work and that type of stuff but gentlemen like i said we're we're into overtime here and uh, our uh, uh our viewers are probably anxious for us to wrap up but maybe neil any any uh final thoughts so if someone's watching this they're feeling a little bit more informed uh, they have some particular questions, need to adapt it for their uh, business or organization, for their work environment. What would you recommend to them, Neil? Uh, certainly have a quick review of, of the ministry's guidelines on these. See if you've got uh, all the bases covered. And that's the best resource. I mean, it's the Minister of, of Labor that has released that information. So their, uh, their information is up to date as to now. And of course, if things are complicated or, or a bit uh, dicey in your workplace or doesn't fit squarely within one of these explanations or examples that the ministry uh, provides, then uh, we are certainly available to assist as well. So it's, it's an interesting piece of legislation and it is not as straightforward as the title would suggest that it is. Yeah, and Patrick, I'll come to to you next. Is it fair, just to give give, give people a little bit more context here? This is kind of uh, we said this is new. We said, um, but this is this is new across many jurisdictions, right? Like no one really has figured that out. Is that a fair statement, Patrick? Yeah, I think it's it's absolutely fair. I okay. think that where you will find a difference is that there are, if you look at jurisdictions on an international. Um, basis. That's where you'll find that maybe there are some places in the world in which, um, you know, they were little, they had a little more forethought when it came to this type of issue, and and maybe took action, um, you know, a long time ago, or or, or definitely uh, earlier than than we have here. But but the concept and the idea is certainly um, just now beginning to become more mainstream, and I think that it, it's certainly been advanced greatly by by the the new world that we live in in terms of separating work and 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 life external from work in terms of the the pandemic. I think that's accelerated, like we've seen with regards to a lot of different things in the workplace. Uh, this is one of those things that's been accelerated by the new circumstances that we find ourselves in. 
Yeah, I, I agree 100%. It's one of those examples where we've seen an acceleration of, of pre-existing uh, uh, issues. So let's, I'm, I'm sure again, there's people that still have more questions. We're going to bring up your contact uh, us information. Uh, here it comes on screen right now. So there you go for Neil, um, uh, his phone number and email, same with Patrick, uh, phone number and email as well. I'm sure you can email them after hours. No, I'm joking. The, these gentlemen are never disconnected. <laughs> uh, anyway, listen, uh, Neil and Patrick, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I always think that you guys bring uh, great advice for people. You keep it real. Uh, so thank you for joining us again today. And I'm, I'm sure uh, some people contact with some more questions. Thanks again, gentlemen. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, okay. Michael. Ha have a great day. And do, do disconnect this summer. I encourage everyone to go off. Go off on vacation, turn off those phones. Just make sure you got a, a policy uh, clarification on that before you do. All right, gentlemen, bye-bye. All right, before we sign off, just a reminder that you can continue to visit obj.ca. Talking about people that don't disconnect, it's the OBJ News team. So they're on it. They're providing original news content on that website, obj.ca. Uh, visit it anytime, 24-7, 365. Uh, I also highly recommend, though, that you uh, subscribe to OBJ Today, which is our weekday email newsletter. You get all the headlines and one, one nice package, as we say, never miss uh, a headline. And of course, you can follow us on social media. Uh, we have a great uh, surge in uh, in people following us on, uh, on LinkedIn. In fact, we just uh, broke the 25,000 follower mark. And since many of you are watching on YouTube, do us a favor. Hit the red subscribe button and then the little bell icon. And if you do that, when we're live, you get a notification on your phone or tablet, uh, so on and so forth. So thank you for joining in. Uh, great show. Thanks. A big thanks to Eamon Harnden, uh, providing lots of expert advice to uh, business owners and managers, uh, a firm that uh, certainly that we highly recommend. With that, I'll bid you adieu and uh, hope to see you real soon. Bye-bye.